Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called Transformed, Not Conformed. In this series, we want to learn to be transformed to the way of Jesus rather than conform to the patterns of this world. Thanks for joining us. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter 2.17, and it's in the last 30 pages of your Bible if you're getting used to how to find that. 1 Peter 2.17 is what we're going to look at today in large part, and uh, if you're using one of the black Bibles, we uh, welcome you to use that. Take it home if you don't have a Bible. It's on page 981. 1 Peter 2.17. Now, while you're turning there, we're in a series called Transformed, Not Conformed. And again, this uh, is something where Jesus, when he comes into our lives and begins to change our lives, the thing that happens is we start noticing some of the ways we're still conformed or shaped or influenced by this world. And he wants to transform us to become more like him. So the verse that the series is based off of is Romans 12, 2. And we have it here on the screen. Would you mind reading it with me out loud? Let's do it together, full voice. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, not the value system of this world, but the value system of Christ. Be transformed. Notice something there that... The way we're transformed doesn't start by our actions, it starts in the way we think. That God wants to renew our minds to help us think more like he thinks, see more like he sees. Because here's what I want you to notice. The way that we think will influence the way that we treat other people. The way that we think will influence the way that we treat people more than we know. And so as we look at uh, these uh, ideas today, if you haven't been with us, this series, we started out the first two Sundays talking about uh, the the pastors last fall when we were planning this series said, what are some of the things that God's put on our heart that we just have concerns about, not only in our own lives, but in our church family's life? And so the first one was our rhythms. It is so easy to have unhealthy rhythms in our life, amen? And so we talked about how do you begin to get in sync? How do you get in step with God in a healthy way, even in a very crazy, busy time chapter of our lives? And Steve helped us see that last Sunday of January as we got ready for the new year, that one of the ways is we have to, if we're gonna be fruitful, we have to meditate on the word of God. Not just read it, not just know about it, but be in it every day in some way where it is renewing our minds. And again, I just want to invite you, if you haven't joined yet in the process, you're you're invited to read through the New Testament with us this year. There's a reading plan if you want to grab one at the ministry center desk. But again, that can really begin to transform your mind and the rhythms of your life. The second thing we talked about was slowing down that we've got to learn ways of slowing down, taking deep breaths, and letting God influence the way that we choose what rhythms we get into and how to have healthy rhythms. Now today, we're gonna spend the next two weeks not talking about rhythms as much as relating rightly. As we look at our culture, we're in a time where it is so easy to be rude. It is so easy to be hostile. It is so easy to be angry and against and upset and afraid. And just with the way we're relating to each other, common courtesy can go out the window in a nanosecond. 
And so we want to talk about how can Christ change our minds, renew our minds in such a way that we think differently and relate and treat people differently. Next week, Brian is going to talk about how do we deal with people that are different than us well. So we want to talk about relating rightly these two weeks, and and today we're going to look primarily at 1 Peter 2.17 as our anchor verse. It's the one I hope you walk away thinking about to your car, and it's not that hard. It's only five words, so it'll be helpful to remember longer instead of a long verse. Now, let me, uh, if you're following along in the notes, here's what's helpful. And again, I know that some of you here, uh, you haven't decided yet to follow Jesus. You're still either on the way or you're not sure where you're at. We're glad you're here, and we want to give you a chance to overhear what this means for those of us that have surrendered our lives, put our trust in Christ and what he's done for us. Now we're learning what this new life looks like, and it helps us to know what the vision is. Again, if we know what he's calling us towards, what he's calling us up to, then we can really begin to step into it. So if you're following along, here's Jesus vision for us, that we'd be salt and light in this world with him, that we'd be salt and light in this world with him. If you're reading through the New Testament this year, your priority came past Matthew 5, 14 through 16, which says, you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world, Jesus says to his followers. What does that mean? That means that this world is in a state of decay, that this world is influenced oftentimes by more darkness than we realize, and sometimes we feel it, don't we? But that he's called us somehow, ordinary people like you and me, with him now living inside of us, he wants us to be the kind of people that bring salt, that preserve that decay, that hold it back from continuing decay, that bring light where there's darkness instead of adding to the darkness. And so he wants us to become those kind of people. It's a high call, and it's an opportunity, it's a privilege, it's not easy. But it's what he calls us to. And how did he get invested in that? If you're following along, so Jesus came to transform the way we think of and treat people. Jesus came to transform the way we think of and treat people. Now, one of the ways he did that is that in the Sermon on the Mount, just a couple chapters after he says, You're the salt and you're the light of the world. He, he uses this incredible verse that I've listed in that first grade box, Matthew 7, 12. Most of us know what this is called. Um, in fact, I'll ask you after we read it together. Let's read it first together. Therefore, treat other people in the same way you would like to be treated. What does the world call this? What is this known as? The golden rule, right? And again, some of us have learned, do to others as you would want them to do to you. The idea is this particular translation is very clear. Treat others in the same way that you would like to be treated. If you were to take an hour this afternoon just to journal about that, how would you like to be treated? Well, you'd probably have multiple answers. I uh, did some thinking about that this week. You know what I, I came up with? I don't know if you would, but if you just net it down, I would like to be treated with respect. I mean, it'd be nice if I was treated kindly, treated fairly too, but I would like people to acknowledge that I'm a person uh, that is worthy of being treated respectfully. And when that happens, it's very esteeming. It's very helpful to live in that kind of environment. When it doesn't happen, it's very difficult to live in that. So Jesus says, figure that out. And if you want to be treated with respect, learn how to be respectful. 
and the way that you treat other people. So again, this idea, Jesus was teaching us a way of thinking and a way of treating. So if you're following along, uh, I want you to see today, I don't know if this is your story, but here's mine. We don't do it naturally. We must practice and keep learning. We don't do it naturally. We must practice and keep learning. I, I have walked with Jesus now for over 40 years. And I am finding that uh, when I came to know Christ, this didn't all change overnight. In fact, it didn't even change yesterday completely. This is something that I need to continue learning how to practice and step into. But this is what he wants for us, and he's ready to help us do this. And you and I can learn this together. In fact, I I hope that today, while we're together, that I'm going to share some things that have been very helpful in the way that Jesus is coaching me. And as I share that with you, I hope that it'll help coach you in that same direction. Because I will tell you this, as a pastor, I'm very conscious that Jesus wants to form us into a kind of people that are salt and light in this world. Where people say there's just a different quality about the way they interact with me. There's a different quality about the way they look at me and treat me and ask me things. And I, I sense that, I feel it. Why? Because we're being formed into a different kind of person, a different kind of people. So as we think about this, just know that this isn't something, if you walk out of here today, say, well, I mastered that, what's next? It'll be something where he'll say, I'm, I'm bringing you back to this again and again and again, because this is what it means to be salt and light. So I want to ask if you pray with me, and let's ask Jesus to help us uh, as we learn this together. God, I am so thankful to be in a room like this with these people. I sense your love for them. I sense how much you want us to win with you. And so I pray that this would be a hope-filled message. I know for me it's been both convicting but also convincing. And I pray that you'll help pull us forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... Um, I want to ask you, if you would, um, to look at the next line in the notes. I talked to you about how he came to transform the way we think of and treat people. So what is Jesus' way? What is Jesus' way? I believe uh, all of us teachers have talked to you about this a little bit, but I want to say that uh, we have found John 1.14 to be a powerful verse that describes Jesus uh, and, and the way that he interacted with people. So the Bible says the word that's describing Jesus became flesh, he became human, and made his dwelling among us. Can you believe that God was willing to come to our planet and, and wear our flesh? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Let's read these last five words together. Full of grace and truth. Now, on a number of occasions, we've talked about, my father said to me years ago, he said, Jeff, every person, every church has got to decide what they're going to do with grace and truth. Most of us tend to uh, major on one of those more than the other. And he said, if you watch churches that are full of grace but short on truth, you'll walk into that environment and you'll probably feel fairly welcome. 
But you'll notice at times that there's very little challenge, that there's very little emphasis on the truth, and therefore, it's just it's kind of a hangout culture. But he said there and there are churches that are super high on truth. They're faithful to the truth, but they do it in such a way that they're low on grace. And so when you walk in those churches, you feel like you're walking on eggshells. You feel like you're always messing up. You feel like you're always being watched to see if you're going to do it wrong. And he said, man, the atmosphere in either one of those, something's missing. So he said, notice, though, that Jesus was high grace, high truth. He was full of both. He didn't fudge on either one of those. And when he interacted with people, they found that at times he was very inviting while still challenging and very challenging while still inviting. And so, again, if if you're listening online, I want to make sure I'm, I'm showing here on the whiteboard a matrix. And again, I think we're putting it on the screen as well. You may want to write this in the back of the notes. This has been very helpful to those of us on our staff at Cherry Hills and some of the leaders. Um, so on this first line going north and south, at the top is high grace, high grace. And at the bottom of that line is low grace. So it's kind of a continuum. Then you've got a line that goes west to east. And at the far right, you have high truth, high truth. And at the far left, you have low truth. Now, that creates different possibilities in these four quadrants. So let me start down here in the lower right. When a person is high truth but low grace, they tend to call out people. And I mean this in a negative way. They they tend to go, there you go again. And they are very quick to say, here's the truth, but I don't have much grace for where you're at. Then, in our culture, if you go to the opposite quadrant on the upper left, and you have high grace but low truth, this is where a lot of us tend to live, and it's called hangout culture. Hey, that's okay. Live and let live. I'm not going to challenge you because, you know, I'm not going to really deal with the stuff that's irritating us about each other right now. I'm just going to be gracious. And it's really a pseudo way of relating to people. It's fake. It's not, it's not really dealing with the, with the truth. Uh, and down here, low truth, low grace means that the relationship doesn't even matter to me much. I'm just going to check out. I'm going to withdraw. I'm not even giving any energy to this relationship. But up here in the upper right-hand quadrant is what we call call up. This is where Jesus lived all the time. High grace, high truth. And what he did when he interacted with people is that he challenged them, yes, but he was always calling them up. He was always calling them higher. He was inviting them in. Sometimes we've called this call in as well as call up. So grace is about inviting and welcoming. Truth is about challenging, responsibility, that kind of thing. And Jesus lived with both of these. Now, I bring all this up because I just want you to know this was Jesus' way. So, uh, if you want a classic verse, John uh, 8, 11, we see how a woman was caught in the act of adultery. Uh, there was a guy obviously responsible for that too, but these men were so unfair, they just brought the woman before Jesus to see if he would condemn her. And when Jesus said, let the person who's, you know, without sin cast the first stone, and even the religious leaders are willing in that case to own up to the fact they're not without sin. So the rocks all dropped that they were going to stone her with, and they walk away. And Jesus says, has no one condemned you? And then here's what happens. She says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Grace, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Truth. Challenge, but invitation. Calling her up. 
Don't keep going that way. It will kill your relationship with God. It will kill your self-respect. It will damage your relationships with other people. Wow, calling up. Now, I bring all this up because I want you to know this is what Jesus wants to teach us in all of our relationships. He wants to teach us how to be people that are full of grace, but also full of his truth. We're being, our minds are being renewed, so we see things more clearly as he sees them, and we're able, if we do challenge, we're able to challenge according to the way that he challenges. When we invite, we have that same kind of spirit and welcoming spirit. So, it's not easy to do. I hope I'm not making this sound like just by me drawing a thing on the whiteboard. Now we got it all figured out. But this is, the, this is the tension he calls us into to learn how to live with his power, with his grace, to be salt and light in the world. Now, let's talk about 1 Peter 2.17. Are you ready? The verse I told you at the beginning we are going to talk about. Let's read it together in that second gray box out loud. Show proper respect to everyone. I think it's worth reading again, don't you? Show proper respect to everyone. Do you mind saying with me without looking? Show proper respect to everyone. Now just try practice with someone next to you. Would you turn and say it? Show proper respect to everyone. Think about this. If this is going across the ticker of your mind this week, that has a greater chance of affecting the way that you treat people. But the way our minds are renewed is with the word of God, with what he says. And so show proper respect to everyone. Now, what does that mean? Here's a definition of respect. I could give you several, but respect means to value someone and treat them as valuable. To value someone and treat them as valuable. Um, the word can mean honor, esteem, to hold in high regard, to see having a certain dignity. And um, again, I just want to say that when you see people that do this, it is powerful. It is so inspiring. In fact, uh, if you're following along, uh, people that are showing proper respect realize this next line, that everyone has dignity. Everyone, there's never been a person you've ever met that did not have dignity. They may be from a different religion, they may be a different gender, they may be a different economic status than you, but there is no person you and I have ever met that does not have dignity. I forget this all the time. This is why my mind has to be renewed by the word of God. But notice this, I, I, I list some things. What do I mean by that? Well, where does that dignity come from? Here it is. Every person you've ever be, met is made and paid for by God. Every person you've ever met is made and paid for by God if you're following along. The Bible tells us that God created human beings in his image. Now, that image has been marred by sin in all of us, but there's still something of that image in every person that you meet. That means that they're made by God. That gives them intrinsic value. God don't make no junk. My mom used to remind me. God don't make no junk. There's dignity. But the Bible says, too, that God, when he saw us in our fallen, sinful state, when our image had been marred so it was no longer, we were no longer operating at the high call that God made us for, is that in order to redeem us, he sent his son to pay for the penalty of our rebellion and sin. You know, someone has said, how valuable is something? What's it worth? 
And the answer has always been, well, it depends on how much someone would pay for it. We know how much Jesus paid for us with his only, his only life, his blood. And therefore, even if a person you meet is not a follower of Christ, even if they've never received that gift that was paid for by them so that it's making a difference, there is no person you've ever met that was not someone for whom Christ did not die. He died for them. So when I look at people, even if they're driving me crazy, I just try and remember that. Hey, they're made for and paid for by God. And here's one more thing. They're only one prayer of repentance away from becoming my brother and sister forever. It's an unbelievable thing. Every person you and I ever have met, even the most difficult person for us to relate to, has dignity. Can I just stop and say something? One of the things that touches me in this church family are those of you that spend time tutoring or mentoring kids. Whether it be at Enos School or Washington Street Mission or Contact Ministries, you spend time with people that may be going through that don't have some of the same advantages some of the people that help downstairs with our special needs kids and look at them and treat them with dignity. I have so much respect for you and I see the way that you're showing proper respect to them. And Jesus is so thankful every time he sees him getting his way in a person's life that way. But I want to tell you a story before I talk to you about those six ways. I want to tell you a story um, that has actually... um, be kind of come uh, well-known in, in, in our church family, and we've sometimes called it the Hardy story. Now, some of you haven't been part of our church very long, but over 20 years ago, my son is about to turn 31, but back when he was 9 or 10, uh, I was in the car with him. It was the middle of the week. I had to preach that Sunday, and my wife, I think she had uh, teaching preschool all day, and then she are teaching preschool that day, and then she also had choir that night. So she calls me on my phone. I'm over by Parkway Point, south end of town, and she says, uh, Jeff, my schedule's crazy. You're in charge of supper tonight. I go, Okay. All right, she's obviously served me so many times. I was a privilege to serve her. So I'm driving around Parkway Point, and at that time, there used to be a Hardee's where the Walgreens is now on the corner. And uh, so I'm looking, and I see this marquee, and I see this marquee that says, cheeseburgers, four for $2. And I go, that's my answer <laughs> right there. So Jeremy's in the car with me, and I pull in the drive through and I, I'm just going to get a big bag of them. So I order them, and, um, uh, and then I wait Oh, I waited. I mean, I waited a long time. And while I'm waiting, I'm staring at the other side of the marquee, and it says, fast and friendly service. This is back, by the way, when the, uh, several of our Hardys in town were the national leaders for Hardys all over the country. Tremendous service, by and large, at that time. So when I see fast and friendly service. So my expectation is, okay, fast and friendly service, four for $2. I'm thinking this is total win. But meanwhile, I begin to, uh, as a verbal processor, I begin to express my opinions about waiting. So I start saying, come on, what is taking so long? And my son's sitting in the other you know, seat there, and, and uh, eventually they tell me, uh, excuse me, it's going to be a while. Why don't you pull up here and park up ahead? I'm thinking, great. So I go to park, and I wait. And now I wait at least another four or five minutes, and eventually after about nine or ten minutes, they bring me these cheeseburgers. Well, I'm, I'm amped up inside because I feel violated. I feel like I should have been treated with more respect than that. Do you know what I'm saying? 
And so I'm expressing my opinion. So I hand the bag to Jeremy and I go, I'll be right back. Just stay seated. So I don't know if you were ever in this Hardee's 20 years ago. Um, what happened is it was a long Hardee's, and so when I entered the building, I still had over half the building to go just to get up to the counter. Well, uh, when I get up to the counter, I'm in a mood. And I'm in a spirit of superiority where now I'm going to bring about justice to this Hardee's, okay? And I, I walk in, and I, so I say, can I speak with the manager, please? And I, again, my tone is like, you know, you know, condescending. And he comes up and he goes, yeah! He says, how can I help you? I said, hey, I just bought a bag of these uh, cheeseburgers that you're advertising. He goes, pretty good deal, huh? I said, it's a great deal. I said, the only problem is, while I was waiting for them, I saw your fast and friendly service marquee, and I was just wondering, would you be willing to take those words down until you are fast and friendly? <laughs> now, some of you will no longer want to listen to me ever preach again. <laughs> and this guy, I could just see this guy wilt in front of me. I could just see his shoulders like, oh, you're one of those. And uh, he goes, okay. So I walk out, I get in my car, I kind of, you know, and I'm driving away. And I only had a mile or two to drive home. And, uh, and uh, I'm thinking about what just happened. And in, here's an interesting fact, by the way. That Sunday, I was supposed to preach on what can block or hinder our prayers. <laughs> and I'm thinking that uh, so I'm driving home, and across the ticker on my mind, again, I didn't hear an audible voice. The Lord, I mean, as strong as I could possibly sense him talking to me, he said, I want you to turn that car around right now, and I want you to drive back, and I want you to go back to that manager, and I want you to make things right. And by God's grace, I obeyed him very quickly, and now I'm turning my car around, and my son says, what are we doing? <laughs> I said, I'll explain later. <laughs> so, by the way, when I got back in the car, he goes, this place is awful, man. The service is... And I thought, oh my gosh, I've affected my son. I've totally influenced and infected my son. So anyway, I turned the car around, and I get back to the Hardee's. And I remember I told you the Hardee's is a long restaurant. So now I walk in the door, and the manager is still up at the counter, at the stainless steel counter, and he sees me coming. And I noticed that he gets more nervous. And he starts like doing this. And he's thinking, he's going, and he's thinking, it's him again. And I get up to the counter and I, I, he goes, we got it all taken care of. You see, he's totally on the defensive now. I put him in a terrible position. And, and I said, um, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you have. Um, I, I just needed to come back and talk to you about the way I just talked to you. I, I need to apologize to you because that was completely out of line. I said, you don't know this about me, but I'm a Christian. And the way I just talked to you wasn't the way Jesus would have talked to you. It's the way I would have talked to you without Jesus. And I want to ask if you'd be willing, I know I just ruined your day, would you be willing to forgive me? And I, I put my hand out to him like this. And the guy, he doesn't know how to take me. And uh, he's, he's, he's like, and he looks at me like this, and there's this long pause. And then he goes like this. He goes, that's awesome. And he shakes my hand. <laughs> and I said, uh, does it happen to you very much? He goes, all the time. 
company. He said, very few people come back, and I thank you for coming back. I said, I wish I wouldn't have had to come back, and I wish I would have gotten it right in the first place and never dinged you like that, but thank you so much for forgiving me, and I hope you have a much better day. And I walked out, and as I was driving home, I realized that I had just unblocked my prayers by listening to the Holy Spirit and making that right. And when I eventually had to explain to my son, and I hope that my son saw that when you don't get it right, God's grace can help you get it right. And sometimes that leaves a mark on people's lives longer when they see how you humble yourself rather than getting it right always the first time. So I bring all this up because there's a lot of things going on in that conversation and that flub up and all that. And I want to just talk to you a little bit about coaching now, okay? Are you ready for number one of these six? Let me just walk through this. First, here's the language I would use. Use call up, not call out words. Use call up, not call out words. I could have gone back to that manager and said, you know, can I just tell you, I, I had a kind of experience. Can I just make you aware of it? I'm not trying to make you feel small, but I just had, I waited kind of a long time and maybe there's some other reason for it, but I just, I know you guys want to be better. And so, you know, I, if I had to, if I felt like I had to say something, I could have done it in a different tone, but I was call out instead of call up. Those kind of words make a huge amount of difference because people can tell whether or not we're for them or whether we're against them or whether we're making them walk on eggshells or whether or not we're actually saying, hey, can we have an honest conversation about maybe the way to do this differently? That's maybe perhaps that way. But, you know, Ephesians 4.29 talks to us about this. It's a powerful verse. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. How much are we are not supposed to let it come out of our mouths? Any. Any. Never. It's never appropriate, no matter how toxic the environment, no matter how badly we're being treated. Never, ever. Jesus never let unwholesome words come out of his mouth. Some of you say, well, he said, whoa. He challenged people. Yeah, but even then, if you understand how he said, whoa, it was always, how sad for you. Come on, I'm calling you up. It was a different tone than a lot of us have read that with. And so, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Look at James 3, 9, and 10. It, it emphasizes this same idea. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters this should not be so again that call up instead of call out language sometimes it's just helped me it keeps helping me say how can I do this with grace and truth a second thing is is to we can disagree without demonizing or devaluing we can disagree without demonizing or devaluing this is so important that our conversation be seasoned with salt, full of grace, the Bible says. But that does not mean that we don't challenge. That does not mean that we don't speak up for ourselves. That does not mean that there's never times we've got to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. There are times for healthy boundaries. There are times to say, if you're going to keep talking to me that way, I cannot continue to stand here with you until we can change that. There are times for that. But overall, what we've got to learn how to do in this culture is rather than disagreeing with defensiveness and demonizing and thinking the worst of other people and devaluing them in the way that we respond, he wants us to learn how to disagree and say, oh, okay, okay, I, I, help me think that through a little bit more, but have a different posture. This is so big. Some of you know Condoleezza Rice, and you've watched her in her public service. She is a woman I deeply respect. 
the way that she has processed things as the United States Secretary of State, the way that she's processed things now as the provost, I believe at Stanford University, this woman is a woman who's worthy of our respect for sure. And, and a man that mentored me told a story how once he was in a room where she was in a very hostile environment. A number of men were attacking her position and her, her, her stance on something. And he said over and over again, he watched her say, gentlemen, with all due respect, gentlemen, with all due respect, gentlemen, with all due respect. Later, he got to talk to her about that and said, I've begun incorporating that kind of phrase more into my conversation and language with people when I disagree. And he said, you know, and she said, you know, that one of the things that that does for me is it gives me a few seconds to pray before I answer so that I can slow down just enough to make sure I don't just keep accelerating and elevating and raising the tone and the loudness of the conversation and it just sets a different tone. Wow, that would be a powerful thing for you and I to do. And we can do things like that. We can learn these kind of practices. The next thing is don't interrupt or dominate. Listen to understand. Don't interrupt or dominate. Listen to understand. I find Trish has to talk to me all the time about how I interrupt people. And it's not always ill-willed. Sometimes it's just I'm excited. But the point is, is when we interrupt, we're basically saying what I have to say is more important than you. When we dominate, we're basically controlling people with our words. That's never, ever acceptable to Jesus. He never dominated people. He appealed to people. He called them up, but he did not dominate. And so when we think instead, I was with a leader over in Champaign this week, and I admire this young guy greatly. He's a good leader. And recently, he, he was honored by his company for 10 years, and everybody threw out different words that meant a lot of when they thought of him. And he said, people have told me I'm a good listener. And he says, I try to be. But he said, this year in 2018, I want to listen to understand more. He said, I tend to listen in order to think of my great reply, or I listen to argue, or I listen to be defensive. But he said, I want to listen to understand. I want to hang in there more with people, and I want to really hear their heart, and I want to do that. I thought, what a great thing. Jesus did that. And so listen to understand. When I was um, in college, uh, we went to a community at, at, called Pilsen in Chicago, um, and it was a different ethnicity than mine. And so a guy was giving us a tour to become more culturally sensitive to a group of people I didn't know much about. And at the end of the day, we're eating in this restaurant. And so I said to him, you know, you know we're all from a Christian college. What is your, you know, what is your uh, thoughts about Christianity? And I'd already asked him where he grew up and where he'd gone to school and stuff like that. He said, well, here's my philosophy. He said, I actually had to go to a school that required chapel every week, and I wasn't that into it. So here's what I think about Christians. Don't tell me about your Jesus until you know my name. What was he saying? Don't, don't dominate me. Don't, don't, don't try and have an agenda with me if you don't even care enough to know my name. If you're not interested in understanding where I'm coming from. And respect-filled people look for ways to be more understanding rather than quick and dominating and, and, and hasty. Another thing here is interact with a gentle spirit and pray for people. Interact with a gentle spirit and pray for people. Jesus said, even with our enemies, do not curse them, but bless them and pray for those who might use you that might hurt you. That doesn't mean hang out with them and have ice cream every night if they're hurting you, but it means at least pray for them. Care about their dignity. Care about their, 
who they are as a person and who they could be if God was to redeem their lives. Pray for them, but a gentle spirit. Friends, I'll just say this, you already know this. I've discerned that showing proper respect in many ways boils down to more than any words I might say. It's my tone. It's my body language. It's whether or not I look someone in the eye and with a renewed mind say, oh God, help me look at this person and see them as a person and as a person that you made and you died for and is only one prayer away from redemption. Help me think the best of them rather than the worst of them and not demonize them, devalue them. And that's so big. One, a couple more things. Be on time, keep your word, and follow through. Number five, be on time, keep your word, and follow through. A number of uh, people in our church family that own businesses and have to hire people are telling me more and more these days that they'll go through the whole interview process. They'll, this person will agree to come work for them. And then on the first day of the job, many times, these people don't show up and they don't even call. This is becoming more common in our culture. In our church family, when we have different events that we're preparing for, sometimes people will sign up, they never call, they never show, and for many of those people, it's a pattern. Let's not be like that. Let's be respectful as much as we can of being on time, of keeping our word, of of showing up and following through. Because when we do otherwise, we're saying, my time, I'm more important than you. And we want to show proper respect and take into account what other people have done to prepare or other people are doing in order to help provide something for me. And that's just been a good reminder for me. The last one, though, is apologize quickly and humbly. Apologize quickly and humbly. I told you to keep your Bibles open. If you look at he, uh, 1 Peter 3.1, it says something about wives. And then in verse 7, it says something about husbands. And here's what I want you just to see. Obviously, not only in verse 17 of chapter 2, it says to love the brotherhood, to respect and fear God, but also to honor the emperor. But now it shows in other relationships. This last week, when I was spending time with people, I said, where do you find it most challenging to show proper respect? And a number of people said, with my family, with the people that know me best. Sometimes I don't hold myself to the same high standard I do with other people, and I just excuse myself to just talk to them without the same respect or treat them without the same respect, and I thought I can relate to that. Well, chapter three, verse one and two says, wives, have such a kind of cooperative, give yourself spirit to the relationship that even if your husbands don't believe they might be won over without a word, by your spirit. And, um, and so then also, it says in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, treat your wives with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So Trish and I, as you can imagine, we've been married 35 years, we ding each other on a fairly regular basis and we get hasty or careless, we don't say to each other the spirit he wants us to. So one of the things we've practiced at times over the years is, is when that happens, is as quickly as we can, and sometimes she's better at this than me, we'll say, I want to apologize for what I just did or how I just talked to you, because that's not the way Jesus would have talked to you. And he wants me to talk to you differently, and I want to learn how to do that. Would you please forgive me, because I know when I excuse that and don't aim for that, it damages you. And I I don't want to do that. Please, I'm sorry. And that can change the tone in the room when it's said humbly and gently. 
And so you and I can do this. Like I went back to that guy at Hardy's. I had to do that. I didn't get it right the first time. You and I can learn how to do this. And so let me just talk to you as we close about how to personalize this, all right? Just three quick things. First, if you want Jesus to renew your mind, then you're going to have to take time to reflect. You're going to have to do some self-reflection. And the question that I've often done, I did in the car that day, is, Lord, is there anyone you want to show me? Is there anyone you want to show me? Any name you bring to mind? Any conversation. Um, I think I've shared this before, but uh, a few years ago, I had a friendship that was very meaningful to me, and I got in a situation where I sensed the Lord was asking me to challenge this friend, but do it with grace and truth. I was nervous about the conversation, and the conversation didn't go as well as I hoped. I, I fell short, and I knew it even as I walked away, and it damaged our friendship to the point that no longer spend time together. In the months that followed, I would pray about that situation and I would ask the Lord, I reflect on it, and the Lord showed me one day, Jeff, there was at least a portion of that conversation and a tone and posture that you had where you didn't treat that person with dignity. And they felt that. And you had a measure of self-righteousness. So I wrote that person a letter and I just said, I want to own my part. I know you've got a part in our friendship and how that went down, but I want to tell you that I think I I could have treated you with more dignity and more, less self-righteousness. And the guy wrote me back, again, the relationship wasn't completely restored, but the guy wrote back and said that that really helps that you would do that. And again, it was through reflection. The Lord was able to get my attention and say, I want you to do that. Confess, Lord, is there anything you want me to name or own? You know, when I say confess, some of you think that God wants to shame us. God wants to guilt trip us. That's not what God wants to do. God wants us to name it and own it so we can put it out into the light so his grace can shine on it and heal it. But sometimes we can never begin to know that grace until we confess it and name it. And then the last thing is to declare. We need to know that there is good news waiting for us, even when we don't show proper respect. It does do damage. I'm not underestimating that. I'm not trying to undersell that. I'm just saying is there's grace, there's hope even when we don't show proper respect all the time. And he wants to help us keep moving. And so, Lord, thank you for the power to obey you. Lord, thank you for the power to obey you. The good news is, is that he is for us. He has shown proper respect to us, and he wants to teach us how to do that in every relationship. You see, how we think will determine and influence how we treat And he wants to renew our minds so that we see people differently, so that we learn these practices and grow in this. Think with me about this. Every great city you've ever been in was great because people treated each other with respect. Every great company you've ever witnessed, every great family or team, one of the common denominators in every one of those is they treated each other with respect. And when you and I do that in our families, when we do that in this church, when we do that in our community, we lift the atmosphere in every place we go to. When we don't, we bring it down. So I want to just ask you to think with me now about what it would look like if Jesus helps us. Men treating women with respect and vice versa. The rich treating the poor with respect and vice versa. Different nationalities, different people. Oh, God, teach us how to do this. And this song that we're going to close with is a declaration 
Lord, I want you to make me a part of a people who are known in this city, known in my home, for our love, for our joy, for our peace. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook. Facebook.